Well, this time, Dr. Flanders is going to come and preach to us from the Word of God. Amen. Thanks so much, Pastor Ben. Amen. Everybody find, please, the book of Luke. If you didn't know that by now, I know you haven't been coming. Find the book of Luke. I'll tell you where in just a moment. Well, I am uh, really very much grateful and appreciating tonight a pastor with a vision to call for meetings to seek the Lord for revival. Now, are we seeing revival? Well, let's remind ourselves a little bit about what a revival of Christianity really is. Christianity is the most powerful force in the world. And the Church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in a community. Although nowadays, and most of our lives, we have been used to churches being the most impotent, nondescript entities in the town. In the early days, the church was a place, a group of people, that sometimes caused riots. Is that happening now? Are people trembling in their boots because of what is being said in the pulpits? Only a hundred years ago that was still happening. And you can follow what really happened for the decline of Christianity. And to revive Christianity is to bring it back. It's not just a general idea. It can be practical and uh, uh, visible like in a local congregation like this one. See, and God does revive his people. When uh, the Van Amen family and myself visited Oberlin today, it's a lot of memories, sad memories, because there's evidence everywhere of how far uh, people who followed others have departed from the glory that used to be there. That old building, they call it the meeting house, we didn't get in because it's being remodeled, turned to chapter 11. See, I'll give you instructions while I talk, okay? Chapter 11, uh, that was a place where there were miracles happened regularly, and that church reached out to the farming community, and so many people were reached for Christ. That First Church of Oberlin at one time was the largest church uh, west of the Alleghenies the largest church. And Oberlin College was a Christian college, the largest Christian college in America at for a while. No, no way now. And certainly not Christian, that's for sure. And the archway uh, commemorating the students who were killed in the Boxer Rebellion, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't use it anymore for graduation because it was offensive. And we had someone there, an official, explain to us how it was difficult for graduates to walk through the archway with scriptures on the side and honor to people who died for the Christian faith in China. Because so many of the graduates walking under that archway were thinking it was imperialism. You see, we went over there and told them that our religion was right. Before we were done, I got to tell the man, it isn't really imperialism. Here's what it was. The first people at Oberlin believed that Christianity was true, was actually the truth. And that's why they died. They died for the truth. And uh, so and many wonderful things about it. And it was inspirational. And that's what revival is. And revival happens now. God knows what Christianity ought to be. And God knows how to revive his people. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Lift you up from where you are to where you ought to be. Not the old days, but the old days. And it's happening now, I can tell you. It's happening now. And I think it's happening here. I think we have evidence that God is working in our midst. 
Okay. And I think some not only have been blessed or challenged uh, through the times we've been together, some of us have actually made turns in our life that we really think are there. So I'm not going to make anybody say anything, but let's see the evidence. Who would say, Brother Flanders, I think God spoke directly to me personally since Sunday in the meetings and maybe helped me take a step that's very important. If you could say that, I have no clue. I don't have anybody set up, and I'm not going to make you talk. But if you could say, I think God has uh, done something significant in my life in just the last couple of days, raise your hand if that's you. Look at that. See, and look at who it is. They're not dumb people. They're not liars. They're intelligent, honest people telling you something quite significant. And I think that God is reviving Pickerington Baptist Temple. No kidding. Now, the seats being full, and many being saved, not yet, but it is to come. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, that's revival, you'll bear much fruit. It'll be his fruit. Wow, looking forward to great things. We're taking another big step, and I'm so glad you came tonight. Really glad, because what we're going to see. Now, the book table, I'm not going to do a big spiel on it, okay, but I can't go too much farther without telling you about these two books, okay? These are two books that really explain to us from the Bible about how Jesus set us free from our sins. Not just hell, but our sins. Like yours. <laughs> your big mouth, your temper, your thought life. Did you know you're free? Did you know that there's a way by faith you can overcome the worst thing about you. I mentioned the other night, maybe last night, that after I got saved, I had a couple of sins that were prominent in my life that disappeared on the day I was saved. Praise the Lord. And I had a couple that did not. And I remember over a period of six months, it wasn't a teaching a new old dog new tricks. It isn't a natural thing. It's supernatural. I stumbled into the way of victory through Christ, who was already my liberator. Okay? And I remember one time walking across the bridge at the college I went to, realizing I haven't had any problems with that in months. <laughs> There's a way. Now watch. Here's an old book called Victory in Christ, 100 years old. A great man went around the country preaching a sermon called The Life That Wins. The Life That Wins. People jammed auditoriums to hear uh, Trumbull preach The Life That Wins. And it sounds like a motivational talk like Donald Trump. Incidentally, I hear Trump is speaking tonight. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be giving uh, the State of the Congregation address. And so you're okay, but you can hear him later. Okay, now, uh, but no, the life that wins is not a motivational talk. It's this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If we learn how to live by faith in Christ, we can have a little bit of heaven here. The life which I now live, not after I die. And I'm going to tell you, people who are Christians show up 
when they're living victoriously and not defeated. And I'm telling you, this book will not fail you. Chapter two is the sermon, The Life That Wins, and the rest of it explains in a practical way how to do it. It's a really good book, very great help. A friend of mine, evangelist Jim Van Gelderen, preached a sermon at the Michigan Revival Conference last year called Zero One Hundred. And you know what was so good about it? It made the lights come on. Now, what he's talking about is the faith that gives you this. Abide in me, and you'll bear my fruit. Okay, and that's about living by faith. I talked about that the other night. But what is this? How does that work? Zero one hundred. Jim Bennett Gilbert is known as a youth evangelist. He tells the story of a teenage girl who came to him, and he said, said, Brother Jim, I've always thought that the Christian life is basically 50-50. I give it all of God, and then Jesus Christ makes up the difference. 50-50. Now, is that how you get saved? The faith that saves you, is it 50-50? No, I'm as righteous as I can be, and Jesus Christ makes up the difference. Is that the way to be saved? If somebody told you, I'm saved, it's 50-50. Jesus does half of it. I do the other half. Would you say he's saved? No. Okay. And did you know the Christian life is also a 0-100 proposition? I put nothing into it. A little illustration is this. I'm not preaching the book for you. I heard it preached the sermon. Now it's a book. Came out in December. Five bucks. Wow. What a book. Makes it click. But like walking on the water. Do you think Simon Peter, when he walked on the water, would tell you it was 50-50? Or even 75 Jesus, 25 me? I do my real best at walking on water. Yeah, I have learned how to manage H2O, and to keep my balance on a wave, and I give it all I've got. Now, how much of the walking on the water was Simon Peter's responsibility? No. And there is a way to live 0-100. You have to do it every day. Remember we read, take up your cross daily. It isn't once and for all. But the book is thick enough where it gives you so many different scriptures that finally it clicks. You know, if I gave you, like I just gave you the illustration, 0-100, you'd say, I get it. But you don't. See, by the end, you get it. And you step into a new chapter of your life. What a, so these two books are about overcoming what you are for Jesus to make you what you should be. So I can't go much further without telling you about those really good books. Now, this one is a real clear scripture. Verse 1. And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord... Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, 
and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, which is a word that means persistence, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, we have been learning since Sunday about these fishermen who followed Jesus. So they're called his disciples, and they're following Jesus. And uh, they are on their way to becoming fishers of men. Okay, just like you and me, how many of you, now let's be honest, how many of you would say, I certainly don't do everything right, but I think I sincerely am a follower of Jesus Christ. Raise your hand. Okay, there we are. So we fit, and reading about them is reading about us. So they were on their way to becoming fishers of men, and they have a question for him, or shall I say a request. They say, after he prayed somewhere, teach us to pray. Now, when you read it in the book of Luke, you know why they asked you that they asked him that question. Here's why. They had seen the importance of prayer in his life and the effect it had on his ministry. No kidding. Now watch. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. God in the flesh, son of God, son of man. Four books of the Bible are devoted to the words and works of Jesus Christ, and they all take a different approach, okay? Two of them, John emphasizes his deity. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and dwell among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It emphasizes the fact that he was God. Okay, now watch. Luke emphasizes that he was man. It really does. Luke, son of man. God, yes, but also a human being. And as a man, we find him praying more than Matthew, Mark, or John. We find in the book of Luke, Jesus praying, and his prayers have an, a great importance in his life and also a great effect on his ministry because his ministry was done like I do mine. Now, I'm not deity, but I have the Holy Ghost. And Jesus Christ did not do his miracles or preach his sermons or minister in his own power as the Son of God. 
he did so in the power of the Holy Spirit, like I do. You have to read the book of Luke. It becomes so clear. Matter of fact, John, Dr. Rice has a little booklet out there, 75 cents, how Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. You ought to read that. It's the book of Luke. Okay, now watch. What are you talking about? Prayer in the book of Luke. Like in chapter 3, he was baptized. Now, which books in the Bible tell us about Jesus being baptized? Come on, you're allowed to talk. I'm more impressed with you when you talk. Which books in the Bible describe his baptism? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four of them. All four tell us how the Holy Spirit came upon him when he was baptized in the form of a, come on, form of a dove. See, uh, pray with me here, okay? Only Luke says he was praying when he got baptized. Did you know that? Look it up. Luke chapter 3. When he was baptized, he was praying. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. Our, we started in chapter 5. Turn back to chapter 5. I won't make you do a lot of work. But look at chapter 5 in verse 16. What are you talking about? Uh, prayer in the life of Jesus. And they had seen it. Verse 16. And he, Jesus, withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said there's too much going on around here? I'm going to go out in the woods so I can be alone and pray. Jesus Christ often did. He withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And book of Luke, you can see it. Prayer, power. They were connected, no doubt. Now in chapter 6, I'm not going to make you look at it. He chooses 12 of his disciples to be apostles. And he names them. But it says the night before he spent in prayer. He spent the whole night in prayer before making his decision about who would be the apostles. You know, one time when I read that, I was a pastor for a lot of years. I got thinking, here the Son of God spent all night in prayer talking to God about a big decision to make tomorrow. And you know what will happen to me? I'll have a decision to make, and I'll snap my fingers and make the decision with hardly even thinking about it. When Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, spent the night in prayer, chapter 6, it's amazing. Chapters 3 and 4, I mentioned 3, the baptism. The Spirit came on him. If you read chapter 4, he comes back from being tempted in the wilderness, full of the Holy Ghost. And in his own synagogue, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It was the ministry of the Spirit that made it so he could do the miraculous. And that came in answer to prayer at his baptism all the way through there. And there's incidents that you know about, but the other ones, Matthew, Mark, and John, don't tell you he was praying. Like, for example, when Simon Peter confessed, Whom do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah raised from the dead. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some people say that you are Elijah or one of the prophets. Whom say ye that I am? 
And Peter said, thou art the Christ. You know that story. Okay. In Luke, it tells us they were praying when he did that. It was a prayer meeting. Also the transfiguration in chapter 9. They were up there on that mountain to pray when Jesus was transfigured over and over again. So the context is the book of Luke where these followers, these fishermen who are going to be fishers of men, disciples of Jesus kept noticing. Where is he? He's out there praying. And they noticed when he prayed, there was supernatural power. Oh, and you know what? We're following him. We're apprentices. We are learning to be what he is. All right? So they said, would you teach us how to do that? Would you teach us to pray? Now, friends, soon something was going to happen to them that would make them significant people, great men. We talked about that last night. And that was the Holy Spirit was going to come. After Jesus went away, he sent a replacement, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what we're reading about tonight means even more because we have the Holy Spirit to put power into our lives, supernatural power, and into our service. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, said Jesus. And you know what we need to do? We need to let Jesus teach us how to pray in such a way that the power of the Holy Spirit's in our life. We really do. Now, dear Lord, teach us that. That's it. That's my whole job is to read and explain what you taught them about prayer and let us learn it and let us pray in such a way that our witness and ministry is affected. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you talking about? You know, preachers, that's preacher lingo. I'll tell you, that was a powerful sermon. Hey, uh, we had a preacher who used to come every other year to our church who was from Arkansas. And uh, he used to talk about power. Power. When the preacher's got power in it. And you know what? Average people sitting there, they're thinking, what's he talking about? Emotion, feeling, a sense of energy. Do you know what we're really talking about? The Greek word for power means enabling. Okay, the ability to get things done. Now watch, we do preaching. How many of you have ever heard anybody preach in this church? We do Bible reading. How many of you ever heard the Bible read in this church? Okay, we have prayer meetings, we sing songs. How many of you think this is a pretty good choir we have? Okay, no hands. I'm just kidding. Uh, even the choir. No, it's a good choir. Okay, now watch. We do our things, but it's different sometimes. When God's involved, now I don't know, maybe nobody will raise their hand, but have you ever been in a service where this is awful? Christians, I mean, Baptists are not allowed to use this awful word, feel. Have you ever been in a service where you could feel God? But I'm not just talking about feelings. I'm talking about something supernatural that it convinces you of the truth. You go, that's right. I've been wrong this whole time. And that power is necessary for somebody to get saved. Because when you get saved, you pass from death unto life. It's a miracle. It's not natural like selling encyclopedias. So we need 
power. Matter of fact, that's what the churches are lacking. You know, so they replaced the power with rock music and uh, nightclub entertainment. See, because it's exciting. Uh, did you know the Bible says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace? And do you know what? Uh, you can have a church service that's made exciting through death. <laughs> and carnally means fleshly minded. And using carnal entertainment to excite the people is killing them. Now, they're enjoying it better than the debtor and a doornail Baptist services we've been having. They're liking it, but it isn't life, it's death. You want to bring life to a service? Involve the Holy Ghost. In the preaching, in the praying, the book of 1 Corinthians 14 says that the average church members are filled with the Spirit and greet the visitors, you'll feel the difference in the church and people will come under conviction and come to Christ. Wow. The power. And even if you don't know what the power is, I kind of explained it. We desperately need it. Now, we went door to door the other day. Did you know that's not against the law? You're allowed to go to the door. So we're from Pickerington. Baptist Temple, we would like to invite you to our church. I think we have good literature published by this church. And we talked, and we, uh, if we got a chance, we would tell people the gospel from the Bible. All that's good. But I tell you, it's worthless without the power. Something supernatural. Sometimes, it didn't happen the other day. I'm not being critical. But sometimes you'll go to the door, and somebody will, I'm not kidding you, will say, I can't believe you came. You're who? This morning, I begged God to send somebody to give me the help. I've been there. Uh, a teenager was sort of rebellious. How many ever knew a rebellious teenager? So his parents sent me with, with him with me one day. I said, I'll take it with me. I'm going to go make some visits, not door to door. But I'll take it with me and spend a little time, quality time with him to help him over his uh, rebellion. Okay. So we were out there, and his mother said that when we went home, I can't believe what it's like to go visiting with Pastor. Everywhere we went, people cried. <laughs> That's what she said, he told her. And I'm going to tell you something. When God's with us in a real way, it makes all the difference. And this world is in darkness because the churches are not revived. And the reason the Christians are not Revived is because they don't know how to pray. And it ain't hard. It ain't hard. There are two levels of praying, Jesus said. Level one and level two. Here's what they are. Number one, there's praying based on relationship, verses two, three, and four. And that's what we call the model prayer. He says, okay, when you pray, here's how you do it. I'm the teacher, so I'm going to give you an example. Pray. Uh, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. It's praying based on relationship. He's my Father. When does God become your Father? That's not when you're born. Did you know Jesus said, Ye are of your Father the devil? Did you know the Bible teaches that when I was born, I was born in sin, and that the devil was leading me around by the nose? And I was a helpless slave. Okay, but on the day Jesus Christ set me free, I became a child of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again under fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. See? So we can pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Praying based on relationship, the father-son relationship that happens when you accept Jesus as your Savior. Now, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? The promise is, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When you receive the Son of God, capital S, born of a virgin, Jesus, when you receive the Son of God, capital S, you become a son of God, little s. And he is your father with all the benefits of that relationship. So praying based on the father-son relationship. And you know what? It's daily prayer. Okay. Uh, That's the first level of prayer. Daily prayer. How do I know? It says, give us day by day our daily bread. So when I pray on this basis, I'm asking for daily bread, food. And I expect, expect it in 24 hours. My father cares for me, and he takes care of me so much that if you're saved, you can get prayers answered easy. (laughs) hate to use the word easy, but really, I didn't know it when I accepted Christ. I knew I was born again, but I remember the problem that came up a few months later where I didn't know what to do, and I was a teenage boy. I would have been ashamed to tell you this, but I laid in bed and cried, so worried, and then you know what I did? I said, God, you got to help me. I got to help us. It was our family had a big problem. You got to help. And to my astonishment, number one, I got peace laying in that bed where I felt like everything was going to be okay. Then in a few days, a miraculous answer to prayer that solved it. I went, man, he's listening to me. And if you've received Jesus Christ, you ought to give that a try. We had a lady in our church who would come to church, but she didn't believe in anything. She, but she was flat out and honest. She would say, well, I listen to you, but I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't believe the Bible's the word of God. I don't know how he could have risen from the dead. I don't believe any of it. Well, one Sunday she believed it, came forward, and got saved. Then I'm back in her house trying to help her follow the Lord. She said, well, I believe the Bible now, and I know I'm saved, but I don't believe in prayer getting answered. I don't think that would ever happen. So I said, Sue, let me ask you, do you have anything you need? She said, what are you talking about? I said, do you have anything you need? I mean, right now. Well, yeah. And they had a definite problem. And it would be solved if they would sell, I think, a car or something. We've had it for sale. Nobody will buy it. But we really need that money. I said, I'll tell you what. You're a child of God. I'll pray with you. Let's ask God to sell that car. And how soon do you need it sold? Well, we need it like yesterday. So let's pray for it to get sold right away, okay? So I bowed my head. I said, dear God, Sue and Norbert, her husband, they need this thing to sell so that they can have the money. And you know that. And they're children of God now. So take care of them. Sell that car. And I looked up, and she looked a little astonished. And I walked out. Now I'm going to give you a secret. I was guided in my car, and I drove away. And I said, I hope I didn't put you out on the limb there, God. Sue thinks you're going to. And you know what? In about two days, sale. See, you ought to give it a try. If you're safe. And that's based on relationship. And uh, it's uh, so anyway, that's the first level. It's easy praying. It's every day and it ought to be done every day. And if you don't do that, I tell you, you are missing out and you're coming short. 
Because in the prayer, you ask for forgiveness. You don't pray every day and ask for forgiveness. You're not forgiven yet. That means you're not saved, but there's issues between you and God. I'll tell you what, that's bad news. And if you don't pray for daily bread, you may not get it. <laughs> and if you don't pray that he'll deliver you from evil, I'll tell you the devil will be all over you. And I've just solved a few people's problems by telling you you need to pray on that first level based on relationship every day. Make an appointment, pray every day. But there's another level. Praying on the basis of persistence. Now, that's a higher level. I'll prove that to you in a minute. Okay. There's a parable. Jesus tells the story starts in verse 5. He says, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight? It's the parable of the three friends. Here are the friends. Maybe you caught it. There's the one with the bread. Now, everybody knows that his wife makes homemade bread. And she makes more than they can eat. And they stock it up. Warm. Uh, smells good. Uh, he's got the bread. Okay, now, number two, there's the guy begging for the bread. Did you see the story? Begging for, at midnight, he's out there saying, Ah, oh, hey, Charlie, this is Rick down here. I need some bread. Help! Begging for the bread. Who is that? He said, which of you? Okay, so the friend begging for the bread is me. Okay, and then the friend who needs the bread. The guy isn't begging for the bread because he wants it. It's midnight. What kind of a meal is he having at midnight? <laughs> Here's what this. A friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. The one who needs the bread is a guy who's on a trip and hasn't eaten. Now, in those days, they did not have convenience stores, and they didn't have cell phones, even kerosene cell phones. Okay, none. they didn't have any at all. So people would just show up, and you were expected to take care of them. And I'm guessing the guy had his family with him. They just showed up, and it's late at night, and he says, we're on a trip, and here we are. You're the only guy I know in doubt. Could you put us up? And the answer was always yes, sure. But we got no food in the house, and that's the wife talking. I know that because I'm married. What are we going to do? And uh, have you eaten anything today? Not all day. Man, you're hungry, aren't you? Well, just sit down for a minute. I'll fix this. Where am I going to get him? All that food. Man. Charlie. Charlie's wife makes all that bread, and they have it in their kitchen. Oh, man, here we go. I know it's late, but he'll understand. Hey, Charlie, sorry to bother you. I really need help. Hey, Charlie. Charlie. And Charlie comes to the window. I use a little of imagination here, but not really. He says, what do you want? Do you know what time it is? Yeah, I know what time it is. I'll leave you alone in just a minute. But I've got a guy and probably his family that has showed up at the house, and they're hungry. They haven't eaten all day, and I don't have any food at all. And I know your wife has bread. And I'd like to borrow three loaves so we can feed them. Okay, maybe a little bologna will 
put between the slices. I don't know, but well, you're the guy with the bread, and I, you're the only one with the bread. Nobody else has any bread. You're my only hope. So could you loan me three bad bread, three loaves? Maybe that means I'm going to pay you. Loan me three loaves. Help me out, and I'll leave you alone. And you know what he says? He says, what are you talking about? We're in bed. Me, the wife, the kids, and I'm not going to help you. When you said you've got a problem, you told the truth because it's your problem, not mine. Slam. Okay. So what do I do? In this story? Hey, Charlie. I'm still here. You're my only hope. Help me. I, I need that bread. I really do. And then he comes to the window and he says, this is in the Greek. He says, what part of no don't you understand? I said, I'm not going to help you. I am not going to help you. Leave me alone. Slam. And then back again. Back again. Lend me three loaves. And he's getting mad. Leave me alone. And then Jesus telling the story makes this point. And he says this, verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend. Relationship. Our Father, which art in heaven. Easy praying, daily praying, where I can get things fast because of our relationship. This is something different. This isn't daily bread. This is spiritual bread. And you know what? It requires persistence because it says, though he will not rise and give him, give him because he is his friend relationship, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. In other words, he comes down and he says, okay, if you'll leave me alone, take all the bread you need. And he doesn't give him three loaves. He gives him about 13. Get out of here! Quite an interesting story. And he says, there are things you can get by persistence that you can't get on the basis of relationship. Now, this is curious, making us scratch our head. But you're going to help me interpret the parable. Okay, ready? <clears throat> what does the bread represent, the spiritual bread? The promise is verse 13. Would you look at verse 13, you Baptist people? Okay, ready? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Matter of fact, uh, did you see this? It's about persistence. He says, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Did you know the first time you ask for some things, you don't get it, but if you keep on asking, you will? Matter of fact, that is in the Greek language. I'm not trumping you with a Greek. Okay. But the other words he uses in the application, we understand to be continual action, like seek. Seek and ye shall find. Okay, now... My wife's name is Tony, and uh, so sometimes I'll be dressing and getting ready uh, to preach, and I need my blue socks. 
So I open up my sock drawer. Do you have a sock drawer? I got a sock drawer. And I open it up and I go, they're all black, gray, man, red socks, man. Tony, I can't find my blue socks. Where are they? Do you know what she almost always does? I don't want to bring you in on my marital problems, but almost always she comes in, looks down at that drawer, and right away picks out my blue socks and says, there they are. You know what she thinks? She thinks that when I look for my socks, I look one time, and if I don't see them right away, I say I can't find them. Okay, because she assumes you keep looking. Like, if I was up here and the choir sang and the pastor made the announcements, then all of a sudden you saw me up here scrambling. And I was going. You're back there going, I wonder what Flanders is doing. Somebody, I know he's lost his sermon. And you know what I'm going to do? Look and look and look and look and look and look and look until I find it. I pick up my paper and I go. And the Lord Jesus applied the parable by saying, by persistence, you'll get as much bread as you need. And he says this, ask and ask and ask and ask and you'll receive. Seek and seek and seek and seek and you'll find. Knock and knock and knock and finally the door will be open. So now watch. The bread is the Holy Spirit. We're bothered by that. I know we are. But I'm going to clear this up. The bread is the Holy Spirit. Okay, now watch. Who's the one with the bread? So I'm begging somebody who's got the bread. I need the bread. I'm begging him for the bread. So who's the one with the bread? Who's friend number one? Don't be afraid. It's got to be the Father. How much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I know we're bothered, but that's what the parable is saying. So I'm the one begging for the bread, and uh, the one with the bread is the Father. Who's the one who needs the bread? A friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. That's who? Hmm? Who is it? Well, but, okay, in this story, I'm begging God for the bread, Holy Spirit, so that I can meet the need of a friend who came along in his journey. Who would that be? Okay, here's somebody who needs God. Now, have you ever tried to be a fisher of men? Have you ever tried to talk to somebody about their spiritual need? And uh, it's like beating your head against the wall. It isn't always, but sometimes it is. Or what if it's somebody who means something to you? Your dad. Your daughter. Your coworker, Your high school pal. And boy, you want them saved. So you go to amend them. Could I talk to you about Jesus? And either they say, no, I don't want to listen to you. Or they listen to you and they don't understand it at all. You mean mass, confession. No, I don't mean that. Well, I don't like church. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about Jesus. You're confusing me. And you flop. 
You need something else. I need to have God with me next time I go see him in some special way. So how do you get God to be with you? You know what the parable says? Beg. Beg. It's not going to be an easy one. You're going to have to beg and beg and beg and beg the Father for the Holy Spirit. That's what you're going to have to do. That's the application. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. The other level of prayer is prayer based on persistence. I used to hear preachers say, importunity means shameless persistence. I am kind of a skeptical guy, and I thought it probably just means persistence. I know it means persistence. But then I looked it up in my Greek dictionary, the Greek word importunity, and it's based on the word for shame. It actually does mean shameless persistence. I'm going to keep asking even though it's embarrassing. I'm going to keep coming back even though I shouldn't. I'm not leaving. It's kind of like Jacob wrestling with the angel. Do you remember that? Wrestles with the angel all night. The angel says, the sun's coming up. I've got to leave. He says, I won't let you go unless you bless me first. An angel. I'm not going to let you go. Same kind of thing. Persistence. Where you say, I need the bread, which is not for me. It's for my pal. For my sister. For my dad. And I'm not going to be able to show them the way without Holy Ghost. And I'm going to just beg until I have it. That's what he's saying. To me, it's interesting that the parable has it happen at midnight. Because many times when we do this, it's at midnight. And the promise is, verse 11, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? That means this. If you beg for the power of the Holy Spirit on your life and witness, God isn't going to give you a stone for bread. In other words, you won't be wasting your time. You won't be, I stayed up till midnight praying for me before I went to see my next door neighbor, and it didn't pan out. Not going to happen. Uh, if you ask for uh, bread, will he give you a stone? And the obvious answer is no. If he asks for a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, life, will he offer him a scorpion? Will a father give death to a son who begs for life? The answer is no. 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 This praying for the Holy Spirit is going to work if you persist. If you stay with it and you won't give up, no matter what. That's right. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That's the promise. Now, what on earth does that mean? Brother Flanders, didn't we get the Holy Spirit when we got saved? How many of you would say, I understand the Bible to teach that when I trusted Jesus as my Savior, part of the package was, the Holy Spirit came to live inside. Raise your hand. Now that's right. Book of Ephesians clears this up. Chapter 1 says, when we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit automatically came inside you when you trusted Christ. That's why it's called being born of the Spirit. Okay? He came in. That was automatic. Okay, now watch. So what on earth are we talking about here? All right. I'm going to tell you a little bit of Greek. 
Now, <clears throat> don't say, I don't know any Greek. He says he does. How do I know he's telling me the truth? Well, check me out on this. I heard a preacher mention about the Greek of verse 13, and I took four years of Greek, and I thought, boy, I'll tell you what, that would be an eye-opener if that was true. So I told you I'm skeptical. Even when preachers say things, sometimes they go, I wonder if that's so. I went back to my office. Second-year Greek was one of the most boring classes I ever took in my life. I remember one time I was asleep like I was every day. One of my pals in class woke me up to tell me that the teacher fell asleep while he was lecturing. That really happened. <laughs> and I missed it. <laughs> so I, but I got a B in the class because I studied the book. And all the tests came out of the book. Okay. And the best thing about the class is I bought the book. Dana and Manti. And it's a manual of Greek um, grammar. And it's about grammar. So I got it in my office, and I went back there, and I checked what I'm about to tell you out, and I found out it was so. Now, tell you a little more Greek. Okay, ready? The uh, Greek uses, there's a word in Greek called the article. In English, we have the definite article and the indefinite article. How many of you remember school? Do any of you know what the definite article is. It's a common word. The definite article is, I forgot about the Ohio educational system. I'm just kidding. Pulling Michigan on. I didn't go to school in Michigan either, but what is it? The, T-H-E, used with a noun. The chair, the light, the door, the man. The flower, the. So you know what the definite article is. Now, we also have the indefinite article. Who knows what the indefinite article is? Come on. If you're wrong, all I'll do is ridicule you. <laughs> what if? Ah, uh, an. Okay. Ah, uh, chair. Ah, uh, light. Ah, uh, man. Ah, uh, boy. Ah, uh, window. Ah, uh, the ah. Uh. Now, first year Greek, we were translating the New Testament into English. Okay, we were told this. In the Greek language, they don't have a definite and indefinite article. They just have an article. And they either use it or they don't. They either use it or they don't. Now, when you have a noun without an article, translated as if it were an indefinite article, which is... Uh, I was just trying to make sure you're staying up with me. Okay, that's how you translate it, and you'll get a good grade on the test. If the article's there, then you translate it as if it were an English definite article, which is very good. Got us along the first year. Second year, when we had Dana and Manny, the book Dana and Manny, they told us, remember what we told you last year? Forget it. That's not the article. Now, I've been to Eastern Europe. I've been to Moldova. I've been to Ukraine. And at least the alphabet is a lot like Greek. Okay? So I wonder if maybe they talk like Greeks. But even today, Greeks either use the article or they don't. Like, sometimes they won't use the article. It's awkward for us. But they might say, you have wife? 
chief? Uh, no article. Kind of like an Indian chief or Native American chief, you know, howl, big chief, you know. They, that's what they would say. Okay, now watch. And Dana and Manny have pulled the book out, and here's what it says. When the article is used, the emphasis is on the identity of the noun. So I use the article with chair, and it means the chair, but it means the chair like that chair, this chair, which chair, the chair, the light, the man, the carpet, the identity of it. And if you have the noun without the article, the emphasis is on the essence and quality of the noun, not the identity, not which one, but the essence and quality of the noun. In other words, like this, I say chair without the article. And you know what it means? Like chairness. The quality of being a light. See, the quality of being a tree, treeity. See, not actually, but in other words, it isn't which one. It's about the quality and essence of what the noun is. That's the difference between the two. Well, man, Pastor Van Amen, I checked my Greek New Testament and found it very consistent about the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts especially, sometimes it uses the article, the Holy Spirit. That means the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that one. Now watch. But sometimes it says Holy Spirit without the article, which means Holy Spiritness the quality of the spirit. You know what that is? The ministry and power of the spirit, which is what Jesus was promising. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give Holy Spiritness? The power of the spirit, the ministry of the spirit, give the quality of the spirit to those who bring him for it. That's what I mean. Like that guy begging for the bread so he can help his friend. You beg for the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you have it. That's how I do it. That's why I prayed all night. No kidding. Book of Acts was written by Luke. It's the sequel. Uh, volume 2 of Luke Acts. And now the Christians with the Holy Spirit, you know what they do? They pray to be filled with the Spirit. And whenever they're not filled with the Spirit, like in chapter 4, when persecution intimidates them, and they're not witnessing anymore, they have a prayer meeting, and they say, Lord, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. And then they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and speak the word of God with boldness. What are we talking about here? They had to go back and get refilled by begging. This promise is not for being sealed with the Spirit. That's automatic when you get saved. It's for being filled with the Spirit, which happens when we totally yield. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. Man, now watch. 
How many of you are sealed with the Spirit, meaning you have trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, and part of the package was the Holy Spirit came to live in? If that in you, how many of you is that true for you? Sealed with the Spirit. All the people sealed with the Spirit, according to the book of Ephesians, are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. That means I have an obligation and the opportunity to have the ministry of the Spirit working through me. So how do I get it? But if I don't have it for now, bake for it. That's what we read. Now, why do I have to bake for it? I don't have to beg for daily bread. Based on relationship, that comes automatically in 24 hours. Yeah, this is a higher level. I do have to beg for spiritual bread, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, God in our story is that mean, grumpy, selfish old man. Okay, that's not a very nice representation of God. But did you notice what we read? That is not just a comparison to God. It's a contrast. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your loving heavenly father who wants the best for you give the power of the Holy Spirit to those who beg him for it? Meaning this, that old guy who says, leave me alone, my children are with me in bed, he is compared to God, but he's contrasted to God. If a grumpy old man can be persuaded to give you everything he's got, if you just persist, how much more shall your loving Heavenly Father give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit if you'll beg? So why beg? Doesn't God care about my friend? Doesn't God want me to get through when I'm having one of those talks with my teenage boy? Doesn't God want to use my sermon? Why do I have to beg him to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I'll tell you why. It's not that God is reluctant, because he's not. He wants all of us to be filled with the Spirit and to be Spirit-filled witnesses for Christ in our town. He wants that. He's not reluctant, but we're not ready. That's it. I mentioned about Jacob wrestling with the angel. Uh, have you ever read that story? Who won the wrestling match? Well, you could argue for both sides. Okay. Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I'm going to be meeting my brother tomorrow. And the last time I saw him, he said, I'm going to kill you. So I want me and my family to be protected. And he got that blessing. He met Esau, and there was peace. But you know what? God won that wrestling match too because Jacob walked away from it with a permanent limp. Remember that? Yeah. And he was a broken man. And Jacob, who was very selfish, and he lived by guile his whole life, his wits. That night he learned to live by God. And his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, one who prevails with God. And here's what happened. Jacob got the blessing he wanted, but God got Jacob. <laughs> Man, I've been there. I've been there. I've been up late at night begging for something. And God keeps changing the subject. 
Lord, they say it's cancer. Lord, we've got to pay this bill. Lord, somehow we've got to solve this problem. And God keeps changing the subject. To what? The issue. What about this? Yeah, I'm planning on getting right Sunday about that. And now I've got to talk about this bill. I've got to talk about this uh, problem. God keeps changing the subject. But you know what I found out? Like Jacob, often if I'll give God what he wants, he'll give me what I need, including the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, they're going to be fishers of men, but not without the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And they have to know how to get it. It's by prayer. Now, are you talking about preachers? No, I'm talking about you. Do you have somebody in your life that needs to be reached? Their life is a wreck. It's not just that they're going to die and go to heaven and you're going to go to hell and you're going to feel terrible at their funeral. It's not just that. And their marriage is falling apart. They're miserable. They're, man, and every effort you make is in vain. You know what you need to do? Get some bread. How do you get it? Persistence. Beg for it. And the reason you have to persist is this. Even though God's not reluctant, often we're not ready. I've got a real good book that I don't have my table. It's called The Wind of the Spirit. It's about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit written by my friend, John Van Gelderen. And it's got everything in there about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? You might get that book. I don't have it. But you might get the book and study it and say, man, do I want to be filled with the Spirit, but I don't get it. I have to surrender my life, but I don't even know what surrender is. I have to have a clean heart. I'm not sure what a clean heart is. I have to abide in Christ. I don't know what abide in Christ is. I keep reading it. I don't know what it means. But I'm going to tell you something. If you come to God and beg him for the power you need to meet the need of somebody else, he'll teach you what it means to surrender everything. In that prayer time, he'll teach you how to have a clean heart. He will teach you what faith is. He will. So God says, you need my blessing on your Sunday school class. You need my power in your preaching. You need the Holy Ghost when you go witnessing. Well, beg me. Because in that begging, I can qualify to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's how they did it. Years ago, okay, I'm going to take a few more minutes. A few years ago, I was a pastor, and I went away to a pastor's conference to get something. Because I tell you what, I was lacking huge. And I went to this conference, and the first sermon, the first night, the preacher was all over me. <laughs> I mean, he didn't know me. But he was talking about all of my sins, all of my failings, all my shortcomings, all of them. And I felt like a piece of dirt. That's why you go to a conference, right? To feel like a piece of dirt. But I knew what was wrong. I knew what was wrong. So me and some of the men of the church were staying at church members' house. And we went in there and they said, uh, get anything in the refrigerator you want and eat it before you go to bed. That's a pretty good invitation. And the guys were in there, but I said, fellas, I'll be back. I've got to take a walk. So I went outside and I started walking. And I later found out it was a bad neighborhood. I shouldn't have done this. 
But I was walking up the, down the street and I said, dear God, I'm a poor excuse for a Christian, let alone a preacher. And I got this wrong and you know it. And I got this sin and I've got this not yielded to you. And you know what? I can't believe people keep coming to hear me preach. And Lord, you're not using me. I'm up there by, at the pulpit all by myself. And I don't want to go back like that. I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead. I want to be straightened out. I want to be cleaned up. I want to be right with God. And I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I got a long ways to go. And I'm walking up down the street telling God how sick I am of myself. It was one of the best nights of my life. I told him how sick I was and how I act and how selfish I am and how proud I am. And I told him and he knew. And I kept saying, God, I, I don't want to go home unless you do something in my life, unless you get hold of me. And you know what? I'm not telling you I had a feeling, but it was a couple hours. And when I came back around to the house, I had peace in my heart. Didn't get a big feeling. But I thought, you know what? I think I've got it done when it comes to being God. So then we went to the rest of the conference, and I got more out of the conference after that night. And then we went home. Okay, we're going home. And then it's Sunday morning, I teach an adult Sunday school class. After that class, before church, one of my men came up to me running. He said, Pastor, I know you've got to get ready for church. But Pastor, I've got to tell you something. Come on, can we talk? So we went to this room over here. He said, Pastor, I don't know why. There's a guy I work for, work with, construction. And uh, I think he really is saved. He says he is. But he's living with his girlfriend, immorally. But I think he is saved. And I've invited him out here to church. He lives 30, 40 miles away. I've invited him over and over again, but I never thought he would come, and he never does come, and he's here today. And not only that, his girlfriend is with him. Not only that, her brother from Gagetown, an hour the other direction, and his wife, they're all sitting together out there, and I don't know why. Now, I didn't say it, Brother Ben Amen, but I thought, I know why. They finally got a spirit-filled preacher in the pulpit. God brought him. So we knelt down and just very casually, we said, Dear Lord, you brought him here. Now save him. Get this backslider right with God and save his girlfriend and the others. Amen. We felt like it was going to happen. I got up there. And I preached on Sodom and Gomorrah and on Lot. I preached to Christians. I preached to the unsaved. We gave the invitation. And you know what? This guy's girlfriend came forward, weeping. Later gave her testimony to join the church. And she said, when Pastor Flanders talked, it's like he knew my whole life. <laughs> Did you know I'm not clairvoyant? Did you know if a preacher says something about your life, it's not because he's got super ability. It's God. Whenever you hear a preacher say something that applies to you, you know what that says? God loves you. So, and then her boyfriend came forward and got right with God. Then her brother and his wife came forward. They all got saved that day. What a day. What a day. And I'm going to tell you, you know what I give it to? I give it to couple hours I spent walking down a dangerous street, talking to God about what a rotten guy I am, getting forgiven, getting clean, and getting filled. Because sometimes we need to beg, not for him,
but for us. And I'll tell you, the Holy Ghost that lives inside you wants to work through you and me. And what we need to do is pray to have his power. That's what we need. Let's bow our heads, can we? Dear Lord, this all makes sense. And you taught it in such a logical way that we can't miss it. And God, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit when we got saved. But we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. We need his ministry to work through us in our family and our coworkers, in our neighborhood, and in the city of Pickerington. Lord, there needs to be revived people spreading the gospel. That'll only happen when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. With our heads bowed, I'd like to ask you this, keeping our heads bowed. Would you say, Brother Flanders, I intend someday to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I already have the Holy Spirit, but I don't know that the Holy Spirit has me. And I intend and passionately desire to have God use my witness and my influence in the lives of people around me. I desire that. If you desire it, I'm asking you this. Would you take the promise of Luke 11:13, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Would you take that promise, stand on it, and start tonight and say, Dear God, I'm on a quest for you to have full control of my life. And starting now, I'm going to be begging you to fill me with the Spirit. And a few of you have somebody in mind. You've got a friend we've not been able to reach, but you'll come to God and say, you know this guy, and you love him. Now I pray that you would make me fit to be your messenger. And you'll start somewhere in this room, standing on Luke eleven thirteen, and saying, dear God, you said you'd give me the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm here asking for it, and I'm willing to yield to whatever you show me. The quest is beginning now. Do you get what I'm saying? If you do, I'd like you to raise your hand where you're saying, I am going to stand on that promise and start on the journey of being filled with the Spirit. Hold up your hands. I'm telling you, God won't let you down. Hands down. Uh, another way, I'm not just trying to get hands up, but who would say, I know somebody in my life who needs Jesus, and I can't seem to get him to Jesus. But you know what? I got the Holy Spirit, and I think I need to start begging that God will make me ready to be the instrument he uses in that guy's life. If you're thinking of a person now, I'd like you to raise your hand, please, if you will. Take your hands down. You know what we need to do? We need to pray for them by name and then pray for ourselves to be filled with the Spirit and used of God in their life. That's what we need to do, and we need to do it all over this room. Now, I don't know if we need music. I'm going to have us stand to our feet. And if we have some music, I'd like just any song that might have to do with prayer or the Holy Spirit. When she starts the first note, I'd like you to find a place to get down on your knees if you can physically do that and say, Dear God, Luke 11:13, I need 
the spiritual bread. I need the Holy Ghost, and I'm going to start now on my quest, and I'm going to start begging until you fill me with yourself. That ought to start right now. And if you have somebody to pray for and volunteer to witness to, then do that right now. Whenever the music starts, or many are already doing it, let's all stand together, can we? And if you need to find a place to turn into holy ground where you meet God, you turn around either right where you are or move somewhere else and have that prayer. There we go. That's right. Do that. How many are standing who would say, Brother Flanders, I thank God today that Jesus is in my life. I thank God that when I asked Jesus Christ to save my soul, he saved me and took away my sins. If that would be you, would you raise your hand if you're standing? Glad that I'm saved. Who would say, Mr. Flanders, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I know that Jesus is the Son of God, but I don't know that I have him as my Savior. And if you won't embarrass me, I'd let you pray for me, because I'm a person who needs to be saved. If that would be you, I'd like you to raise your hand right now. Holding it up, I'll pray for you. Lord, I do pray for every lost soul in this room that your spirit would knock on their heart's door and, Lord, that you'd call them to yourself. And may the folks who are without your son come to him on this very night and find the peace they need. We're going to respect everybody who's praying. And if you need to find a place to pray, you go ahead and find that place. And if you need some help, come see the preacher right up here. God's not reluctant to give us everything that we ought to have. It's just that we're not ready for that blessing till we spend some quality time with God begging. I'm going to ask her to play one more time through. Can we help you? In some way, can we help you? That's why we give a public invitation. Just come on up to the front, preacher or me, will answer your question. What you've taught us tonight, uh, Lord, forgive us for our shortcomings, our sins, our carnality, uh, Lord, our unfaithfulness, our sinfulness, Father. We thank you for your daily provisions, our lives, Lord. You've 
given us clothes to wear, food to eat, roofs over our heads. But God, we need the Holy Spirit. Lord, not just a little bit. We need all of Him. Lord, we're thankful for salvation and the promise you've given. Uh, Lord, that you seal us to the day of redemption. But God, we need you every day. We need your power, your goodness. Uh, we need your person to exude from our lives. But Lord, we, we don't want to live powerlessly. Lord, we want to live according to your grace, by your strength. Paul said he can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth him. But Lord, may we learn what that means and enjoy that every day. Father, for our church, we ask that we would not be powerless. God, but that you would be in this place because the saints of God are begging you for your presence and power each day. Lord, we ask that you would help us have a new chapter. Lord, may we not uh, may we not serve you in our own strength, in our own ability, because, Father, we have none. But, Lord, we need you. We need you in the pulpit. We need you in the pew. God, we need you in the parking lot. We need you at work. We need you at home. God, we need you at the store. God, help us learn to walk in the Spirit. Lord. We need you more than anything else. Father, may we not be satisfied with anything less. But God, we thank you for what you've, what you've brought us tonight. The clarity by which it was explained. Lord, we ask that you'd help us not for, forget this. Help us not be forgetful hearers, but God, doers of the work. God, give us safety tonight as we go home. And Lord, give a blessed day tomorrow. Tomorrow evening, Father, we pray for the greatest service yet. Father, they've been getting better and better every time. And Lord, we ask that you'd meet with us again tomorrow. Help us be faithful in inviting those who aren't here that they too might enjoy personal revival. But Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done. We pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. You are dismissed.